0: Good morning. My name is Jamie Bergren. Um, My husband and I, Quentin. My husband and Quentin and I, have attended Faith for the last five years. We have three little kids between the preschool and elementary wing. Um, We also lead a life group, and I sub down there for Trisha as well. Um, I will be reading Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by straight course to Kos, then the next day to Rhodes, and from there to to Patra. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For, For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went to board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, And since he was would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Very good. Thank you, Jamie. It is good to be with you here today. I've uh, actually really been looking forward to this opportunity to talk with you. Uh, as many of you know, perhaps most of you know, two Thursdays ago, I sent out a letter to the church, pretty much everybody on faith's mailing list, and in that letter I explained that God is changing my assignment here at faith. Uh, for context, I've been pastor here, senior pastor here for 35 years, and our intention and our leadership's desire has been for me to continue about four more years uh, in, in this role. Uh, but uh, over the past couple of years, I've been having uh, problems with my throat, with my voice, uh, specifically my vocal cords that have made it uh, increasingly hard to speak, preach three times on Sunday mornings. And probably more significantly over the past year, I've been having uh, problems with my, my eyes. I've been getting wonderful medical care. Uh, but uh, it's really hard to read and study, to have uh, blocks of time. My study is very fragmented, and uh, honestly, it's just pretty torturous, many weeks. And so these are kind of career-ending injuries for a pastor, your eyes and your, your voice. And so since January this year, I've really been seeking God and just asking God, is this something you want me to press through and try to go another four years or so? Or are you saying that it's time for a change of pace? It's time for a different assignment. And after a a season of seeking and looking for getting counsel and conversations with the important people in my life, it seems very clear that God is giving me a different assignment. And on the one hand, that makes me very, very sad. But on the other hand, there's a growing excitement and anticipation, not only about what's next for me, but what is next for Faith Manhattan Church. I'm glad to report that we've been talking about succession planning for almost a decade now, and so we've been anticipating this. The timeline is different than we anticipated, but we've been, been planning for this, and our plan at this point is to begin a search at the first of the year and hopefully have my replacement here by next summer. You never know how these, these searches uh, go, but that's, that's our hope. And I probably don't need to say this, but please, <laughs> excuse me, please know that Brenda and I love you dearly and we love what God is doing here at Faith. And it's our intention to stay here at Faith and to serve alongside you and to walk into the future with you. My specific role won't be determined until we're in in the middle of the the succession planning process, uh, but that uh, I'm sure God will will lead and God will, will make things clear. In the sovereignty of God, the first passage that I am preaching from after sending out this letter is the passage that Jamie just read in which two different churches wrestled with an assignment that God was giving the apostle Paul. And in the interaction between Paul and these churches, we see both the messiness and the beauty of interdependence in the body of Christ. And they had these hard conversations, and they worked it out. Why? Because they were family. That's what family does. You don't give up you work it out. And by the end of this passage, everybody, Paul and these churches had a deeper commitment to the will of God. And so this passage is something a case study for us as we all navigate uh, whatever assignment I have and the changes that are coming here at faith. Uh, We're going to first consider Paul's assignment from God and then his interaction with these churches, and then we're going to look at the takeaways for us. What perspectives would this passage uh, suggest for us as we move through the succession process? So first of all, consider this case study. Paul had this assignment to go first to Jerusalem and then to Rome. Let me set the context a bit. In Acts 21 through 28, Luke records Paul's journey to Jerusalem and then to Rome, <clears throat> and the things he encountered along the way might challenge the way we normally think about the sovereignty of God. We might think that, well, if God is sovereign and he gives Paul this, this assignment, go to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome, we might think that it would be smooth sailing. Actually, it was the opposite. It was a shipwreck, Literally, in chapter 27, there was a shipwreck. And then, figuratively, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Or, and another way to say it is, everything Paul could have suffered, he did. He, there were rumors, false allegations, trials, death threats, plots against his life. But Paul, Paul had been told by the Holy Spirit that suffering awaited him. And by the time we get to Acts 28, Paul is in Rome, quote, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Turns out God was sovereign. Turns out God did know what he was doing. He took care of Paul in the midst of the shipwreck of that journey. And so let's consider briefly Paul's assignment. Twice in Acts, we're told that the Holy Spirit himself, this wasn't just Paul's idea, but the Holy Spirit impressed upon Paul that he needed to go first to Jerusalem and then to Rome. The first time is recorded in Acts 19.21. Paul had been in Ephesus Ephesus for over two years when we read. Now, after these events in Ephesus, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, that's Greece, and go to Jerusalem saying, After I have been there, I must see Rome. So it wasn't sightseeing. He was going there to impart to the church, and to preach Christ where that his name had never been heard. Second, in Acts 20, verses 22 and 23, we considered this last week. Uh, Brian taught about Paul, his, his uh, message to the elders at Ephesus. He says this, Acts 20, 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, this is the one thing he did know, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And so from day one, Acts 9, when Paul came to Christ, suffering was part of his assignment as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It wasn't incidental. It wasn't optional. It was integral. It was essential that he suffered. If he hadn't suffered, we're going to see as you read the rest of Acts, if he hadn't suffered and he hadn't been imprisoned, he would not have made it to Rome. That's how he got there. God used that. And so, uh, because Jesus was his Lord, he accepted that assignment. He said, God, I'm bought with a price. And so, whatever you assign me, I will do by your grace. And I think it's accurate to say that whenever God gives assignments, This isn't just true for pastors and missionaries and ministers of different kinds. Whenever God gives assignments, there is always an element of suffering. There is always sacrifice. There's always hardship involved. And some assignments involve more suffering than others, and I'm certainly not implying that there's no joy or satisfaction in these hard assignments. Um, But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, so if you're walking with God and you're directly involved in the lives of other people, if you are seeking to lead people to Christ, if you're not just sitting back and being a stealth Christian, but if you're seeking to lead people to Christ and you're seeking to help people live as disciples of Christ, you will pay a price. There, there will be a cost associated with it, and it will be absolutely worth it because Jesus is Lord. And so, Paul received this assignment from the Holy Spirit, go to Jerusalem first and then to Rome. But what's fascinating is in the very next chapter, we come to chapter 21, that Luke tells us about the resistance he received from these two churches as he made his way to Jerusalem. They tried to talk him out of what the Holy Spirit had told him to do. And so, let's consider these interaction with these two churches. And on the face of it, it appears like the believers in these two churches were prompted by the Holy Spirit to tell Paul not to do what the Holy Spirit had just told Paul to do. So let's see what's going on. First in the city of Tyre on the west west coast, western coast of Syria on the Mediterranean. In Acts twenty one four we read, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And so, the question is, uh, what, does, what does Luke mean when he says that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem? So, the most unlikely understanding of this is that Luke is trying to say that the Holy Spirit con- contradicted himself, that he told Paul one thing, and he told the church at Tyre something else. And there's no indication that either Paul or the believers in Tyre really hadn't heard the Holy Spirit. Neither, of these, neither party is saying, this is my will, this is what I want. Now, both of them had heard from the Holy Spirit. And so what's going on? Well, you may remember when we studied the attributes of Scripture, uh, one of the attributes is the clarity of Scripture. And in that sermon, we acknowledged that the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean that there are no hard verses or passages. It doesn't mean that every single Scripture is easy to understand. This is one of those difficult Scriptures. People have wildly different understandings of what is happening here. I think the best understanding is that this is a compressed account and that something is happening here similar to what is going to happen in the next city, Caesarea, namely, that the Spirit had warned these believers that Paul would suffer when he got to Jerusalem, and they wrongly concluded, therefore, that must not be the will of God. As John Stott put it, perhaps Luke's statement is a condensed way of saying that the warning was divine, but the urging was human. The warning was divine, but the urging was human. And what's interesting is that Paul's decision not to cancel his trip, it wasn't a deal breaker for this church entire. They didn't say, well, fine, we're done with you. No, we have every indication that they they became convinced that Paul needed to follow the Spirit's prompting in his life. Uh, I say that because in verses five and six, we're told that they accompanied him to the shoreline and they bowed down in the sand and they prayed and they committed him to the Lord before he sailed off. Luke explicitly tells us that that's what happened when Paul came to Caesarea. And uh, as an aside, uh, Lord willing, two Tuesdays from now, Brenda and I will be in Caesarea. We're we're going to Israel, uh, kind of a 40th anniversary trip. We've been looking forward to this for, for a while, so that's why you won't see us for the next three Sundays. But uh, he went to Caesarea, and this is what happened. We're in Acts 21.10. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. And so this was a long piece of cloth. And Agabus did what the Old Testament prophets sometimes did. They acted it out. And so he tied up his hands and his feet. And he said... Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we, Luke's including himself here, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So they concluded suffering is going to, if you go to Jerusalem, you will suffer, you will be bound and imprisoned, therefore don't go. This cannot be the will of God for you. And verse 13 makes clear that they weren't scolding him. They were weeping for him. They were doing what you or I would do if we had a loved one who who could avoid some suffering. We would would tell them, no, don't, don't do that. But we read in verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart. And so, he wasn't, he wasn't callous to their affection. It broke his heart that they were weeping and telling him not to do what he understood the Holy Spirit wanted him to do. He said, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, just as we read in the, in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was to die there. Paul said, he's my, he's my Lord. He took up his cross. I'm willing to take up my cross and die in Jerusalem too, if necessary. And we come to verse 14, and this is the point of the passage. And since he would not be persuaded, we, Luke concluded, ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. This is not a statement of resignation, or fatalism, they had come to the place where they wanted the will of God to be done more than they wanted their own will to be done. Now, this is striking. Get this. They were saying, Paul, if it is the will of God that you walk into the teeth of persecution and to be imprisoned and possibly die there, if that's the will of God, you need to go And so, we come to the end of this passage, and they are more committed than ever to the will of God. And the next five and a half chapters describe Paul's arrest and trials in and around Jerusalem. It's quite a story, isn't it? Well, in light of what we've seen here, I want us to think carefully about some implications for faith's future in light of uh, the fact that my assignment is changing the light, in light of the fact that there will be changes here at Faith. And uh, I want you to know that I know that I'm not Paul, and I don't have an assignment anything like Paul's. So this is a one-to-one correspondence in any sense, and yet there are commonalities. In both situations, you have a spiritual leader who has been given an assignment, and it affects the churches. And so there will be changes here, and we'll have to navigate those changes as a church. And so, what we find here uh, in 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 this passage are some dynamics that were in play for them that are also in play for us. The first one involves the will of God. You know, as we move forward in this succession planning process, it will be absolutely vital that all of us, not just a few of us, but all of us want the will of God more than anything else. It's going to happen. You're going to have uh, preferences. You're going to have convictions. And they're going to differ from those of other people. What are you going to do? What are you going to want? Are you going to want to be right or are you going to say, as long as God's will is done, that's what matters? It's interesting in, in the Bible, the will of God sometimes is universal. There are things that are true, universally true for all people everywhere. <clears throat> sometimes we're even told at 1 Thessalonians 4, we're told, this is the will of God, no doubt about it. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. We don't have to sit here and think, I wonder if that applies to me. Now, that's universal for our, all people everywhere. But we come to Acts 21, and the will of God is circumstantial. It's not universal. On other occasions, it was the will of God that Paul escape persecution. In some cities, Paul was sent away to avoid hostile crowds. It happened in Damascus, Thessalonica, and Berea. But in this specific circumstance, the Holy Spirit impressed upon Paul that he should go to Jerusalem, knowing that he would be imprisoned and afflicted. And so we read in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. They accepted that it was the will of God for Paul to suffer. And So what we're saying to you as a church is that we, as a leadership, believe that it is the will of God for there to be a change in leadership in the senior senior position here at Faith. We're asking you to accept that as the will of God. This isn't just Steve's decision or this isn't just something that's happening. We actually believe that this is the will of God for me and for Faith at this time. And I've, been, I've been seeking God about this for, for quite some time, more fervently the last eight or nine months <clears throat> as things have gotten more difficult. And I want to give you just a little, <clears throat> a little bit of a window into what's been going on. And uh, there's nothing too, <clears throat> nothing too fancy. Paul, would you bring me that other cup of water that's right down there? <clears throat> Thank you. I've just been employing, thank you, sir. I've been employing just the normal means of, of seeking God. I've been praying. I've been getting a lot of counsel. I've been talking to the people that are most important to me in my life, specifically Brenda. Uh, we've had these conversations, and we've actually done something that we have never allowed ourselves to do. We've been dreaming about the future, Dream of, dreaming about. what it might be like for us when I'm no longer uh, senior pastor at Faith. This is the case for many of your, your jobs, many of your callings. It takes every ounce of energy that you have, and if you let it, it will dominate everything you are and everything you do. I haven't done a great job of setting boundaries, but we have this growing desire to be available to our kids, our married kids, all three of our kids are married, and our grandkids. I've also had amazing conversations with our elders. We put together a succession team in March, conversations with them, friends, and mentors. It's been very interesting. Different people in different walks of life, different relationship with me, with us, have spoken into our lives insightful things that that come from their experience. One of the great privileges I have as a pastor is to talk to people who are dying or people who are in the midst of some deep suffering. And these people who are suffering deeply, they have things to share with with us that nobody else knows. Things that are only learned by experience. Some of the things that we've received from them. just So, so choice. And so I will just tell you that there's broad agreement that it's God's will for me to have a change of pace and a different assignment. As you might imagine, I was more than a little anxious when we sent out that email uh, two Thursdays ago, and I I didn't really fear any harsh, you know, pushback like, thou shalt not retire ever, you know, (laughs) I I never expected that, But, but neither did I expect how perfectly you would respond to all of this. If I could summarize all the texts and emails and conversations I've had to a person, you said in essence, we're sad. We're sad that this is happening now, that this needs to happen now, but we get it and we're for you. We're excited about what's next for you and we will pray for you and we will pray for faith. And so your commitment to the will of God is just perfect. It's so satisfying. Well done. Thank you. Second thing at play here is mutual submission. And this is a a concept that's uh, implicit throughout Paul's writings, but he explicitly taught it in Ephesians 5.21. In in, uh, 5.18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he talked about this is what's true of people that are filled with the Spirit. They sing in church, they're thankful. And then he says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is describing mutual submission. It's not just one person submitting to the other. It's people mutually submitting to one another. And so if I submit to you, I'm not saying you're my boss. You can tell me anything and I have to do it. No, that's not what mutual submission means. If I submit to you, I'm saying I want to receive from you anything God wants to to give me through you. You might have something to say, something you can do for me. God's gifted you. I want to receive it. I'm not going to give you the stiff arm. I'm going to receive what God wants to give me through you. And because Christ has gifted every believer, and because Christ by his spirit indwells every believer, we we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we see that modeled by Paul in these two churches. For his part, Paul received confirmation that he would suffer I mean, he was told two more times by seemingly random people, you're going to suffer if you go to Jerusalem. And when he did suffer, no doubt that comforted him. This is not outside God's will. This is not out of control. God knew this. He told me, he prepared me for this. And for their part, the churches received the correction that Paul brought them concerning the role of suffering in discipleship. In Paul, they had a tangible flesh and blood example of somebody who not only believed in his mind, but he embodied what Jesus taught that if anyone wishes to come after me, you're going to need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And so in terms of application for us, when it comes to to mutual submission, I don't have anything too specific in mind. I would simply encourage all of us to enter into this succession process with the assumption, not just thinking this may be a possibility, this is, this is possible out there. No, this is the case. Entering into this process with the mindset that says, I do not exhaustively understand the will of God for Steve and for Faith Manhattan Church. I don't. Therefore... I'm going to need what other people bring to this process. Even if they disagree with me, they're indwelt by his spirit. They have experience. They have wisdom. They have insight that I'm going to need to listen to. Therefore, in my heart, with God's grace, I will be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's what mutual submission demands. Now, of course, today's passage illustrates that Christians say things that are wrong, okay? Christians disagree, and sometimes one of them is right, and one of them is wrong. Sometimes it's a matter of of, um, there are two perspectives that both need to be taken into consideration. And so this requires great discernment. There's not a formula. Do these five things, and you'll get everything right. No, uh, it's, it's very circumstantial here. Again, how do you know when a pastor is supposed to step down? Well, how do you know if somebody is the right, right one to replace him? But there's a virtue that will be priceless for us in this process. And that's our next point, which is humility. In the context of elders leading the church by example, Peter writes, 1 Peter 5:5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You may have noticed this. We don't have a dress code here at Faith. But if we did, at the top of the list would be humility. Before you come to church, put on humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. Not just some of you all of you clothe yourselves with humility. There's about 90 reasons why we should do that. The reason Peter mentions is because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're going to need massive amounts of grace as we go through the succession process. We're going to need God to give us things we haven't earned, things we don't deserve. And you probably, like us, have heard you know horror stories of what have happened, what has happened in succession plans, how things have gone wrong. I've got a friend of mine who pastored a church down in Austin for like twenty-seven years, and they for years they they thought this through. They had this what they thought was the perfect succession plan, and they were going to work this plan and then write a book, and so that others will know how they can do a perfect. And in the middle of it it just blew up. It just went horribly wrong. And so, so that's, that's a cautionary tale. We should never think though, well, we're smart enough so that that will never happen here. Or we're much more mature than they are. And so we could never, that would never happen, that things would blow up here. No, absolutely, it can. We're, we need to be desperate for the grace of God. We need God to give us everything we need for this whole process if we want God to give us that grace, we need to walk with one another in humility. We just absolutely do. And finally, prayer and faith. Throughout Scripture, one of the core ways that faith is expressed is through prayer. The only people who pray are those who actually believe, number one, that God exists, and number two, that He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. God really does reward people who seek him. That's what happened in Tyre. After they became convinced it was God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem, they prayed. And I found this very touching. In verse 5, we read it, or Jamie read it. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with their wives and children, everybody, they accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. We prayed and said farewell to one another. They responded by praying. They expressed their trust in God by pouring out their petitions to God. God, go with Paul. He's going into persecution. Go with our brother. I have a growing sense that God wants to teach us as individuals, but more importantly, probably as a church, God wants to teach us some deep things in this process that we might be missing, things that we might not learn any other way. And so instead of kind of having this attitude like, I hope we can survive this process or just kind of, you know, gutting it out, I hope I can make it till the next guy's here and and I hope everything. No, we should be passionate about saying this is an opportunity for God to show us and confirm he is who he says he is. And so either God exists or he doesn't. Either God hears our prayers and answers those that are prayed in faith according to his will, or he doesn't. Either Jesus is the head of the church and we are his bride, his choice, precious bride, and he wants to see us spotless and blameless, or he's not. Either God is in control And either God can supply everything we need along the way and he can lead us exactly where we need to go, exactly to who we need to to get to, and who needs to come to us, either he can do that or he can't. And so why waste this opportunity? How about we walk with God? How about we walk with each other in humility and we'll let God show us he's God, he answers prayer. He's sovereign. He's a good shepherd. He does everything he promises that he will do. Our elders are calling us to fervent prayer throughout this process. And so we're asking you to pray individually. We're asking you to pray in your households, to pray in your groups for this process. And we're going to call you to gather together at different times to pray as a church, concerted prayer as a church. And we want to see God answer, answer in power, answer clearly. We believe that's what he wants to do. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and that reminds us why any of this matters. Why does it matter that we pay attention to what's going on in this church? Well, because we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to him. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. And so as we come to the Lord's table, would you submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ in the ways we've been talking about when it comes to the will of God, when it comes to mutual submission, when it comes to humility, when it comes to expressing faith through prayer? Again, be, be honest with God. There's no reason not to. And so we invite all who know Christ, who've come to faith in Christ, who trust Him alone for salvation to join us at the Lord's table. If you didn't get the elements before you came in, feel free to slip out now. I want to have just a a, a few moments of silent prayer and then we'll eat and drink together. Jesus took the bread and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the wisdom that it imparts. God, our prayer is that we would would really uh, pursue you, just pursue you with everything we have during this, this process, this succession process. God, we believe you're good. We believe that you are on the throne and you're sovereign. We believe, God, that you love to hear the prayers of your people. God, lead us in our praying. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray prayers in faith. Teach us to pray according to your will. God, teach us to walk in humility with one another. God, put aside any malice, any contempt that exists. We pray that you show us what mutual submission looks like. May we love that. May we not just tolerate it, but love submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And God, may we seek you and find you in ways deeper than we imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Let's stand together.
3: Okay. Oh my. This is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our Helper, He amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great with cruel hate on earth is It is He, the Lord of hosts, His name, from age to age the same. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still.
2: love because you first loved us. We give because you first gave to us. And out of gratitude, we bring gifts of money to be used for your kingdom work. And with these gifts, we also pledge to you our whole selves. We give you our bodies as living temples. May we be your hands and feet. We give you our minds. May our thoughts support others and glorify you. We give you our time, may our presence encourage others. We give you our relationships, may our interactions be a light to the world. We give you our work, may we always strive to do our best and help others do theirs. We give you our play, may our leisure bring joy to many. And we give you our hopes and our dreams, may our goals reflect your mission. Use these gifts, great God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass.
4: I oh.
5: Jack goes
0: Good morning.
2: Good morning. Welcome to Faith. How is everyone?